But please pray with me. Father, your words given to us, inspired by your Spirit, sometimes even through the mouth of your Son, they are pure, and they are light, they are life, because they're yours. And so as followers of you, we stop what we do to declare our allegiance in our listening, in the quiet, and together as a group, to hear you, your infinite wisdom, the things that your words speak, and your questions that probe our souls, that you love so dearly and died to redeem. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many people, when you went to the bathroom this morning, thought about where this is going when you flushed? No? Not a lot, not, I'm not getting a lot of, lot of... Okay, so probably not, right? These are things that we take for granted. Underneath the ground is some sort of system, be it a septic or sewer, that's taking the water, taking waste, and removing all of this. I, I learned not to take these things for granted. When I was a student at Dort, at the time college, um, for three straight summers I worked for a digging service, and I figured working before in a fish plant separating fish carcass and caviar wasn't dirty enough, so I wanted to work with sewer. And I spent three years doing this in the summers and realized how much work goes underground and the fact that at times we would even use lasers to figure out the exact slope to run things at so we would all work out and the appropriate things would all happen underground so that when you hit flush on your toilet, you're not having to think about everything else coming back up at you because we've taken care of it underground. You're welcome. I really only have five skills in life. I'm pretty good at a break in billiards. I've been told I'm very good at picking out paint colors. I like to preach. I can back up a trailer like a son of a gun, and I can run a backhoe. <laughs> and that's really about it. That's all I got. And after doing this for hours and hours, you realize the amount of work that it takes to put things underground, like even under door, there is a series of tunnels that take care of our utilities, and you get to go from one warm building to another because somebody has laid the groundwork all underneath. These tunnels even lead actually to a parallel sinister universe 12 miles away from here. We'll call it Nation Rouge, where... These gargoyle-like characters walk around in this sinister parallel alternative... Never mind. Okay, so... <laughs> once in a while, when I'd be running like a trencher for um, footings for hog buildings, I would come across a line that a utility person had not marked accurately, or maybe I just didn't see, and would go through like a gas line or a water line, and something significant would happen in those moments like explosions and things like that. And I would often sit in trenches like this where we would have to put in gigantic utilities 12 hours at a time, digging these things throughout through fields and underneath cities and streets. And it was a horrible, messy job, but absolutely required. And sometimes it's complicated, that which is not seen. In fact, sometimes the things underneath are the things 
They make everything else up top possible. And somebody has to know what's going on down there. Before a building can be laid, some of the most substantial work that will cause success is all done in some of the most unsexiest of jobs. I wasn't always great at running heavy machinery, though. And after I flipped a dump truck, and right outside the cattle confinement here on the blacktop, heading out of town and threw 25,000 pounds of gravel all over the ditch, they thought, maybe we shouldn't trust you with heavy equipment anymore. We'll do something simpler, like the eternal souls of our youth, and put you in charge of that instead. So, <laughs> so I made the natural transition from Jim's digging service to Dort University, and here I am, and the Lord works in mysterious ways. We come back today to a really pointed question. It's the last one, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached finishes in this application question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And these are one of those questions where you kind of get revert back to this, um, this picture of a God with his arms crossed just sort of waiting for us to mess up and that we're being watched and analyzed on all of the little things and it's easy to lose sight of a God who is loving when he asks us questions like this. But I want to walk you through the text and hopefully show you that there's a call to work here in ways that really aren't sexy and are often underground. In the deeper, darker, soul-craft places of who we are. And if nothing else, I want you to arrive at the point at the end today where you realize that there is a curriculum when you are in college outside the curriculum. The curriculum of soul craft. Of all the things that are happening outside of your homework and classroom hours. And sometimes there's going to be moments in life where the things that you did in the secret and in the quiet and the way that you shape your soul and prepare yourself through muscle memory and the things that God needs the most will actually become a more public and become a greater part of who you are at times even than the letters on your transcript when you're done. They all matter. Discipleship is a journey that Jesus walks us on and these are the things that are so important in teachings like the Sermon on the Mount. And so to its closing verses, we now turn our attention. Jesus rattles off some of the, the greatest teachings in the history of the world and then concludes with this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came and the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. But friends, I've come to learn over time that there's a second conversion in Christianity. 
There's the one that cries out to Jesus as a Savior, and then there's a second one that embraces Him as a Lord. When we've exhausted all of our best efforts and we realize that we fall short, it often comes in the moment when you get in the most trouble, when you tried something on your own and got broken, when you fell or hit your own version of rock bottom, whatever that might be, and everybody's testimony is completely unique in that way and beautiful before the Lord as He takes us to those moments of our brokenness. And then we realize that we need somebody smarter than ourselves. We don't just need a Savior for deliverance. We need a Lord who leads us. And the declaration of Lord, Lord is one of allegiance. But one born out of love and trust and not of fear. Not one anymore that says it because it's afraid of its overlord, but one who trusts them more than themselves. For his love has been proven true. And even when we were in that worst moment and we were so broken and we forsake everything that we were created to do, he never left. And that declaration is a cry. A petition for help. Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus acknowledges by the end of this message that sometimes even those words can come too easily to us and without enough thought behind them. It's easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? The Sermon on the Mount closes with a call to congruity. To an alignment between what we say and what we do. The passage right before this is the one where he talks about like out of, um, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And so he's talking about the, the, the consistency between who we are inside and what other people hear from us. And then now it turns to the difference between our words and our actions. First our words and our words, then our words and our actions. And it's where the message stops. Now, as you may know, the Gospel of Matthew, as opposed to Luke, is one primarily assumed to be more towards a Jewish audience, whereas Luke typically more towards a Gentile audience. So it's a little more evangelistic. Um, it's a little more, a lot of people who sort of tend to wear a more social understanding of the Gospel go to passages like Luke. But if Matthew truly is writing to a more Jewish audience, then he's assuming a greater knowledge level of the biblical story and of the character of Yahweh and what he expects of us. And you can see in Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount, the words are just a little bit more biting. They're more challenging, which is very consistent with Jesus' ministry, right? Because he always is the most frustrated with those who presume upon grace, for those who know much, to whom much is given, much is expected. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Don't miss the part at the end of this. This isn't dependent upon your actions. The last line is, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Because I wanted to. Give me an example of my marriage. 
If once a week in my marriage I got dressed up in my best clothes and then I went to a place where I walked through a series of steps where I confessed all the terrible things that I had done wrong and then felt really badly about them and then somebody else told me, you'll be okay. And then I sang a couple of love songs and then went home but ignored her for the rest of the week and didn't really listen to her or honor her in the way that I talked and the things that I did. And then came back the next week to get all dressed up and do the whole thing again where I say I'm really sorry for the stuff that I didn't do and the stuff I did do. At some point in time, my wife's probably going to be like, you're a really crappy husband. You say this stuff once in a while, but everything else in your life betrays it. You guys, in survey after survey, the biggest critique of Christians and the biggest reason why people leave the church, the biggest thing that hampers our witness and the effectiveness of the body of Christ today is this simple concept of hypocrisy which is a learned skill. And those of us who are the most susceptible to it are the ones who learn how to speak Christianese really well. If you grew up in the church and in a Christian home, if you've gone to Christian schools and places like this, I just want to warn you up front, the risk of hypocrisy is really high. I do this for a living, so I can learn to speak Christianese incredibly well. But I really do believe that the most important parts of my ministry are not the things that I say on this stage, but the things that are done in secret. The ancient church fathers called this gravitas. The deep soul work that creates a gravity of people who want to experience the Christ within us. I know that you've been around people in your life who you know have a deep work of Jesus at work within them, and you can't see it, but you can feel it. You can hear it when their words ring hollow, and you can feel it pierce your heart when their words ring true. The gravitas, the gravity of the weight of Jesus within you is so much of your ministry and your effectiveness if you want to become an effective kingdom citizen, as we say we're all about here. People's hypocrisy meters are well-tuned today in the world. And they're looking for consistency in the followers of Jesus to be its most effective witness. And maybe the same thing was true already in the first century, and that's why Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount the way that he does. So instead of being hypocrites, who have the pretense of having virtue or principles, but are deceitful and two-faced and duplicitous, that demonstrate a disconnect between the things that they say and the things that they do between their Sunday mornings and their Friday nights. A sham. While integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. I love this line. In ethics, it's the accuracy of one's actions. The alignment between our word and our deed. When our outsides match our insides, when we are consistent, honest, and true. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep down. That's where it starts. That's the beginning of the metaphor, friends. You want to build your life on a rock? You've got to dig deep down you got to let him do the digging and hit those places. The ones where nobody else sees. 
Soul craft, friends, is deep work. And it's the curriculum underneath the curriculum in your life right now. And others won't be able to see it, but they will feel it in your presence. This is the Salesforce Tower in the city of San Francisco. Recently built, it's the tallest building west of Chicago in the United States. Built in a region known for earthquakes. So if you're going to build a building 61 stories tall, you're going to have to do a little bit of work underneath the surface in order for it to have a foundation that will stand. Especially if you're going to build in fault lines. This picture was taken during the pouring of the foundation when 1,300, 1,300 mixing trucks poured cement for 18 straight hours to build a slab underneath the ground that nobody would see when this building was completed. And underneath the load of cement mixed by those 1,300 trucks that poured for 18 straight hours is another 42 pilings that were pounded down over the months before, 300 feet deep in the ground into bedrock. So if an earthquake hit or storms would hit, this building that was going to be built on top of it would still have the same street address because it still stood in the same place. Workers spread out the cement as it was being put down, doing the work underground. 49 million pounds of concrete exist underneath the surface of this building. If you go to see it, you will not see the 49 million pounds of cement underneath the surface. But if you were to stand on the 61st floor in the middle of a storm, you're going to need it. I don't know what storms are going to hit in your life, but I can guarantee you they're coming. Life is not easy in a broken world that is still contested. You will go through hard things. Relationships, jobs, the economy, wars and rumors of wars and all these things that happen in our world. You will hit storms. You have an opportunity at this stage and in this time to be building a foundation and doing the deep soul craft work underneath the surface that Jesus says is so important at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? And here's the invitation, and here's the command on how it works. The three verbs that come. As for anyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. See, friends, the simplicity of discipleship always just starts with a response to God's invitation. It sounds so threatening when you just read this text without stopping to dwell on it. The invitation of the gospel always starts the same way. Just come. Are you tired? Are you weary? Come. Are you overwhelmed? Are you feeling guilty? Are you broken? Come. Are you at the end of your rope? Just come. It's the same invitation for everybody. It doesn't matter what your qualifications, what your pedigree, what family you came from, what nation on earth you were born into, the color of your skin. Just come is the invitation from the one who has conquered death and says, come, come into my presence. I just want to be with you. I want to give you the life that I created you to have. I just want to invite you to be with me. Come. And then the one verb that we're supposed to do in the middle of this, here, it's like the most passive verb. All you got to do is just sit there and just let absorb the things that he wants to say. 
to put ourselves again and again in front of words of wisdom and of life. Words that have seen the other side of the grave and come back from it to break through eternity for you. You know, we're transformed more by listening than we are by speaking. You might actually even change your environment around you more by listening than by speaking. Our world tells you you need to stand on a pedestal or on a stage. And Jesus says you need to go underground. Start there. Just listen. My favorite is the last one. I was sitting down yesterday with Nikki, and I was like, tell me what you see in this text, and we kind of poke at it together. We often do this in preparation for a message in chapel, and she says, the word that stands out to me the most is practice. Because Jesus doesn't say you need to take my words and put them into perfection. See, and I think that's the great Christian misconception. You need to put them into practice. You see, when you practice, you stumble along. We keep thinking that it's in our polished self that the world's going to be impressed with the followers of Jesus. But sometimes it's actually just simply in the fact that we stumble and we need to say that we are sorry and repent and ask for forgiveness, that that too actually is part of our witness. In fact, it might, your brokenness and vulnerability might be the most important part of your witness. It's your coming to Jesus, you're listening to him, and you're practicing resurrection. The greatest sermon the world has ever heard has a rather simple application section to it, doesn't it? Come, hear, practice. Come, hear, practice. I'm going to ask John and the rest of the team to come back up and give us an opportunity to simply to respond back to the Lord in, in adoration and in confession and thanksgiving and supplication as we sing to him, the one who tells us that I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. May that be you today. Will you join me?